we've had we've had to kind of jockey around the schedule based on our the various teachers either being out of town or one thing or the other. And so we got out of sequence. And the particular lesson that's remaining is this one, Lesson 24, Who is a Wise Man? Uh, a little backstory to this. Uh, 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 I, I had that clipboard for everybody to sign up. Uh, well, Paul was coordinating the classes and asking folks to teach. And so it seemed like for whatever reason, I'd be the last guy he'd get to. And there would be like one lesson left. And he said, you don't get to pick. And, um, and I, that's fine. I, don't, I didn't mind that at all. But uh, uh, this particular lesson, who is a wise man, it made me stop and think, did those guys not want to teach this class? <laughs> those other guys. Uh, and I kind of understand why. It's very difficult to stand up here and talk about wisdom and speak from authority. Uh, I can't do that. I don't know that any of us can. And of course, what we do then is we focus to uh, uh, our uh, the, the scripture, and and we see what God says about wisdom, and that's what's important. It's not necessarily, you know, my experiences and my ideas and, and my thinking as much as it is is what what we find in scripture, because that's where the true wisdom comes from. It's from above. Also, uh, I didn't realize it when I, this is going back several months, I didn't realize when, I, when Paul gave me this lesson that the theme of the summer series was wisdom. And um, it's been very good. I hope you've been here on Wednesday nights to, to hear the various speakers. And I'll have to say that uh, uh, the one that probably, in, you know, if you were to tell me step up and talk about wisdom without any material, you know, not, not having prepared any material beforehand, I would go to the book of Proverbs because that immediately, you know, I think about all the various uh, great things that, you know, were recorded in that book that guide us, you know, and t tell us about wisdom. And so I would line up more, if you were here with, when Jimmy Clark was here, I would line up more with his thinking because that's where he went. And uh, so... It's kind of hard to stand up here and, and probably not say things that you've already heard if you were here on Wednesday night, so apologize about that, but that's the subject that we're talking about. If you would, turn to uh, James 3, and I want to read verses 11 through 18. 11 through 18. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from, from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So like I was just saying there a moment ago, it's, it's, it's difficult to, uh, at least for me, to speak from a position 
of, as I said a moment ago, authority or, or knowledge. Uh, when, when you're teaching a lesson on wisdom, I, I don't feel like I'm authority on that topic. I, I promise you that. And I'm not being flippant in saying that. Um, so what, what we're going to do is, is turn our attention to Scripture and, and as I said earlier, that's where the real answer is and where our real focus and study ought to be anyway. I'm going to focus right here on James. I, I mentioned a moment ago that, you know, uh, if I were doing it kind of off the cuff, I would probably go to Proverbs. If there's any time left, off, left over afterwards, I'll, I'll maybe talk about Proverbs a little bit, but I don't know how our time's going to work out. And I am going to try to get done today on, on this particular topic. But... This particular portion of, of James, uh, or, or really the particular portion that begins with about verse 1 of chapter 3 and goes down through about verse 12 of chapter 4, is basically things that deal with concerns for um, peace and harmony, and specifically among us, among the believers. Peace and harmony among believers. And more often than not, if you think about what really causes disharmony in a congregation of the Lord's church, uh, bad feelings or discord uh, is another thing that comes to mind. That's usually what causes it, and it usually begins with words. Uh, more often than not, that's how it happens. And someone might, for instance, might say something that you take offense with. And it could be worldly. It might be within the church itself. Uh, or, or maybe you even uh, go, maybe it's even so simple as you use a certain tone of voice and that person interprets that tone of voice from, you know, from the, the wrong way, maybe not the way that you intended it. Uh, and, and I could go on and on with examples, but unfortunately, you know, like I say, a lot of times it's just misunderstanding or misinterpretation, and you know examples, I'm sure, in your past, I do too. Uh, so James begins this section right here with warnings about the use of the tongue, and then he then he kind of proceeds from there and talks about the fruits of the fruits of wisdom, and and he's rebuking his readers for allowing these kinds of things, allowing uh, disputes and quarrels and conflicts and even goes so far as to say that makes a lie out of their, their profession of, of faith. Um, and so what's the solution to that? The solution to that is wisdom and humility and repentance. So when, when Christians, if we go on the other side of the thought, when Christians teach Christ with their words, and then model Christ through their lives uh, with, with example, with godly living, with the way they speak, then what does the world see? The world sees the kingdom of heaven through you as an individual. And if, if on the other side of that, if you don't do that, then the church becomes a subject of ridicule. So uh, it's either one or the other, truthfully. And if again, again, if most church divisions and most dissensions among believers really aren't differences, doctrinal differences, uh, they're the result of strong, self-willed individuals who sometimes act very foolishly. 
Um, some people get angry and amongst their brothers and sisters, and they, they show that anger through their words and through the tone that they use. Uh, some people act very arrogantly towards other fellow Christians and, and consequently will, will say hurt those, those other Christians. They hurt their feelings and cause those bad feelings. And some people, some people think they have all the answers and consequently they don't respect the ideas and the opinions of some others and, and usually those people I'm speaking of right there, what they really want is to control everything. I've been around a couple of Christians like that that, that made the congregation quite difficult. The consequence of all that, and, and we could use other examples, is they just, they just tear down the Lord's house around their own foolish heads and their feelings and their opinions. So Christians need to profess their faith. They need the wisdom to take their faith and put it out there and put it in practice and let it be seen. And, and no amount of, of doctrinal correctness can, can compensate for what James, using James's words, he calls it jealousy and selfish ambition. And that's kind of another way of saying some of the things I've said here this morning. So uh, we, we start out reading uh, at verse 11. And verses 11 and 12 talk about consistency. Consistency. And, and if, if you want to look at what the pattern of the book of James is, that's really what that is all about. That, that, that's what James writes about, is being consistent. Uh, he lays out his concerns real early, and then he, then he kind of returns to develop them as he goes on through, through the letter. Um, he makes a statement in verse 5 that, that relates to kind of the title of this morning's lesson. That's chapter 1, verse 5. He touched on wisdom back there. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom... And then he wrote, let him ask of God. Now, I'll make a sidebar comment to that. I've, every time I read that verse or think about that verse, I always think of something that I always like to say. And that is, if you pray for wisdom, and I'm hoping each of us have done that, you better be ready for the answer. Because the answer is probably not going to be what you think. It's not going to be like flipping a light switch. You went to bed one night, woke up, you had wisdom. You're going to be taught wisdom. And if, for instance, you're asking for wisdom, if you're asking for humility, you better be prepared for the lesson you might get taught, you know, with humility. But it's, it's kind of hard to decide, looking at this passage out of James, if, if this is kind of the, uh, the point where he starts discussing wisdom, or is it the point where he stops discussing the tongue? It's kind of like, a there's really no transition there. It's kind of a smooth change, you know, uh, transitions into the next. But, but this is very clear to me, and I hope it is to you, and that is the, the judicious use of words is not disconnected from wisdom. You can't disconnect that from wisdom. 
And I saw something, you know, I assume most everybody in here, you know, they get on the internet, you may use Facebook, you know, and you see lots of stuff pop up, people will put stuff up. I don't remember who put this up, but I got, I, I made a screenshot of it because I thought it was real good. Uh, and it really didn't, I, I guess, I, I just think it falls in line with, with kind of my line of thought anyway. It said this. This was on Facebook. It said, the church doesn't need more people who think they're leaders. It needs more people who know they're servants. I've, I've been going through some training at my work um, on leadership. And um, I've been through numerous leadership training sessions in my work with different companies and all. And it's, they just rehash the same thing. And put a little different spin to it, but it's the same material <laughs> over and over, but they try to act like it's a new concept or whatever. And they want everybody to be a leader. And I don't know that in and of itself there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I'm not trying to suggest there is, but I thought there was a lot of wisdom in what I just, I just said to you that, that I saw out on Facebook, that we can't all lead, but we can do certain things. And certainly we can all be servants. And so I think there's, there's a lot of wisdom to that. Did you notice, um, um, if, you, if you've read James, if you back up one verse in verse 10, you know, James is using a metaphor for the, you know, for the tongue, and he kind of changes that metaphor, though, in verse 10, from, from being uh, about the tongue to the mouth from the tongue to the mouth. And so you kind of stop and think, well, isn't that the same thing? Uh, and I would suggest maybe not. Maybe it's time for his readers to consider what's flowing out of their mouth. You know, do... And, and, and so we're going to come back in line with, with something I said there a moment ago about, about faith. Uh, do, do you just switch on faith? when it's convenient, just like you turn on the light. It's, it's, it's a part of you. It is your being. You own Christ. And if you own Christ, it means you, you fill yourself with Christ in, in every aspect of your life, down to the core of your being. It is part of your being. Knowing Christ isn't just some new way of, of thinking about God. It is a completely new way of being in your existence. The, the believer changes the way he thinks about God, and he also changes the way he thinks about himself, and he also changes the way he thinks about everybody else. And it, and it reflects itself in that gentleman or that person's life uh, and how they con conduct themselves and how they, how they speak and what they do to uh, further the kingdom of God. They have respect, they have compassion, and those things just sort of push out of the way, gossip and malice and things along that line. Um, and if, we're, if, we're, if, if, it's, if it's to that level within our being, then we're consistent in our, in our Christian living, and that means that we don't tolerate anything less than that. That's just part of us. And so 
James uses an example that we read there a moment ago about the springs. Uh, the springs over in the uh, Near East part of the world, as, as we refer to it, uh, are sources uh, that are very valuable. Uh, it's a very dry place. Uh, the, the weather's very dry. Uh, it gets very hot. And so it would mean something to the people that he was, he was writing to in, in the day that he wrote it. But I think maybe the point might be a little more vivid if we think about us today and what we have. You know, we're not out in the desert somewhere, so, so maybe we could relate to it a little better. So you have a faucet in your house or wherever you live in your apartment, uh, and it provides water to you from some municipality probably, from, you know, from a town or a county or whatever. And you, you trust that water, it's been treated, it, it has some chemicals in it to make it, you know, better. Uh, it's very pure, if you will. But what if you were to open that faucet up and it, and it, it, it spits out a, a mix of fresh water that's very clear, nice, and, and sewer water, you know, that's gungy looking and dark and whatever. Would you want to drink that? Would you want to wash in that? Uh, if, if it has sewer water mixed in with pure water, it's just not fit to drink. It, it can't be pure and have that, that filthy water in it. And that's the point that, that James is making. When, when a mouth spews forth things like bitterness and, and gossip, um, uh, no set of wholesome words that follow that are going to fix that. Uh, the problem is not in that person's word, but rather in their heart. That's what's flowing out of their mouth is, is what's in their heart. Um, another example, uh, if, if you were to walk up to an apple tree that say you, plant, you planted yourself in your yard and you pick an apple and you take a bite out of it, could anybody convince you that you picked that from a grapevine? Absolutely not. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? The fruit of a Christian's mouth establishes or, or testify to what he has become within his inner self, within his being. Uh, in Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said himself, for out of the, abundant, of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, what flows out of the mouth. So there's a transformation when you become a child of God, when you become a Christian. But if without that transformation, there is no Christianity. You can, you can claim to be uh, a fig tree forever, but if that fig tree uh, produces olives, it's not a fig tree. It's an olive tree. It is what it is. Verses 13 through 16 uh, speak of um, the heavenly versus earthly wisdom. Two different kinds of wisdom. And, and, he, and James immediately gets to the point, he's using these examples out of nature. Uh, really, figs and olives are not his concern, but rather what he does is he demands that, that Christians behave themselves properly. He says the gentleness of wisdom is the fruit Christ wants his people to produce. The gentleness of wisdom. Uh, it, will, it will never be the fruit 
if the tree it's coming from is one that, that is bitter, that's jealous, uh, completely consumed with self-interest, arrogant, that's not, that's, that, that, can't, that tree can't produce the right fruit. Again, quoting Jesus in Matthew 7, 16, you will know them by their fruits. There's a gentleman over in North Georgia, Ernie Fletcher, Brother Ernie Fletcher, he's passed away now some years ago. He was a minister at one of the congregations we attended for a while. And um, back when I was quite younger, uh, living at home still, uh, my dad was a minister, and we would go to gospel meetings around in different parts, and Brother Fletcher held a meeting close to where we lived at the time. Later on, he was a minister at the church we attended. Uh, but he said in a meeting one time, he was talking about how he would discuss doctrinal issues with uh, denominational folks, you know, that uh, were not members of the church, members of other religions and so forth, and how... Uh, uh, they would maybe accuse him of being argumentative or be offended because he, he disagreed with them and went to Scripture or whatever. And his response, he said, would be, well, I'm just a fruit inspector. I need to know you by your fruits. The gentleness of wisdom. He talks about that in verse 13. It, it, and, and I've been... Uh, if you, if you read the, uh, the New American Standard Version, it, that's, the, that's how it's translated, the gentleness of, of wisdom. But the King James Version has meekness of wisdom as opposed to gentleness of wisdom. Um, and he warns that, that you know not everyone does well when he wants to be a teacher, just like I'm standing in front of you and teaching. And... Um, we know that. We know that some folks have the capability, you know, to stand in front of a group and speak, and then other folks are scared to death and it makes them nervous and diff they have a difficult time with it. So you know what I mean. And, and then there's, there's folks who can lead singing, other folks who struggle, you know, and, and don't want to be in that position. And we could go on and on with examples. Uh, but when you talk about teaching, uh, he, he, he has practical advice for those who are able to do that and, and have some measure of talent to do that by telling them to be wise and gentle. Wise and gentle. And um, we understand that, that words are a very, very important measure of our wisdom. What comes, comes out of our mouths, flows out of our mouths, is a measure of the wisdom that we have. But that's not the only measure. If you're going to teach Christ, you've got to go a step further in whatever it is you're presenting, whatever it is you're teaching. You've got to show that in your public behavior. You have to put that on public display. Wisdom equals goodness as we're, we're speaking of out of James, but it's a, a different kind of, of goodness. It's a, it's a goodness that 
is hardly aware of itself. The wise man is good, but he's meek. He's meek. So what James means by the gentleness of wisdom becomes clear when, when he, he takes wisdom and contrasts it with its opposite. There is a demonic kind of wisdom, a, a behavior that's, that's more closely akin to cleverness, if you will, than to gentleness of wisdom. And we know people like that. We see people out in the world that are not good people that seem to have the ability to uh, be very successful at different things. And you wonder, how did they know to do that? You probably know people like that. Um, so, um, back to the, to the um, example that James used um, about the spring putting forth bitter and sweet water. That kind of lingers in this thought that, that I'm talking about. Jealousy and selfish mock wisdom that comes from above. They, they destroy the unity of the body of Christ. And anyone who claims to be wise while at the same time seeking glory, uh, seeking attention, making sure everybody knows that they're wise, is kind of a liar. He lies against the truth in that he refuses to acknowledge his own sins and to, to change his ways. And so... So James kind of appeals to us as, as his readers, all of us who share that, who are his shared leaders. And he, he appeals to our experiences. He just says, look around. Just take a look. And we've done that, I know. The source of every type of evil is found really in self-seeking, selfish ambition where one person sets their own personal ideas and acclaims above everything else and everybody else. Uh, and, and the outcome for that person will be instability. There's no wisdom from above in that sort of thing. The wisdom from above is meek. Arrogance and jealousy just, just result in all kinds of evil. And... and Demonic wisdom, like we're speaking to, as James talks about, destroys the harmony of God's people. It, it, it consequently results in discord and strife and that sort of thing. So in verses 17 through 18, as we read earlier, uh, James talks about traits of true wisdom. Traits of true wisdom. And, and by the way, this thought just came to mind. I meant to say this right out of the gate. Uh, I'm really not following the book. <laughs> um, there's some stuff there. I, I just thought that, you know, rather than that one little blip of the scripture in the title of the lesson out of James, that there's a whole section of James that I thought was very well worth our attention. So I just thought I'd mention that. Wisdom from God produces peace uh, and, and it produces good among us, among the brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and, and, and thoughts and words and behavior that result in strife are not from above. They're not from God. 
Um, and so what James does is he urges us to, to de- determine what, to, to identify desirable wisdom traits by looking at the fruit that is produced by those traits. If there's discord, then what we need to do is back up, take some steps back, and, and re-examine our, for ourselves the nature of wisdom that's guiding that. When, when we turn to Scripture like we started out talking this morning about, for instance, Proverbs being so rich you know, in, in guidance about wisdom, um, when, you, when we turn to that, that wisdom is from above, and it flows from the kind of conduct that, that, that James lists there in those verses that we read. He has a series of, of seven descriptive terms that relate to or are a part of wisdom or being wise. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, and without hypocrisy. Wisdom is the knowledge and the consequently resulting conduct that gives you that peace, that gives you that enjoyable and, and, and satisfying life. We know very well, uh, and Scripture warns us of this, how sin and misery are bedfellows. They go hand in hand. Demonic wisdom seeks pleasure and it seeks status but its fruit is suspicion. Its fruit is bitterness. Uh, in John 12, verses 25, uh, there's probably the greatest paradox spoken there by Jesus. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Self-love, pride, arrogance, things like that, Uh, that lie in the heart will have the consequence of bitterness and rancor. And and when one occupies his mind less with self-interest and and serves with self-effacing humility, then we're where we need to be where we need to be. You've heard this probably quoted before uh, by by Brother C.S. Lewis. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's kind of the line of thought that we're talking about. And so in this little part of the passage that we read, James gives us kind of a benchmark uh, for wisdom in our lives. A Christian can measure the degree of wisdom from above that reigns in their lives by simply observing the peace that it produces. Um, Christ, you know, those of us who are in Christ, we kind of live in a perplexing and frustrating world 
that we, in which we have to give and take with other people. And so we talked about, you know, the clever wisdom of the world. That's, strife is the result of that. Peace, is the, on the other hand, is the outcome of divine wisdom. Uh, even in the use of the word fruit uh, that we've used, uh, the product of wisdom is close to the fruit of the Spirit that, that Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5. Um, you know, James really makes no mention of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the believers, but it does work in that uh, the divine wisdom that that James is speaking of is equals the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The wisdom from above that he speaks of in verse 17 may be just simply another way of referring to the Holy Spirit from above. And when we turn our, our minds and hearts to the Scripture and we study it and learn it and apply it, then the Holy Spirit is guiding us to the Word. I think for James, the, the seed that gets planted in the Christian through the Word of God that was proclaimed to them and that we read in Scripture uh, kind of explains the parable of the sower by saying, you know, in Luke 8, verse 11, he says, the seed is the Word of God. So in another sense, the seed was the wisdom from above. And yet in another, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was in them that we, we are taught through, through the Word of God. The seed that we're speaking of, the fruit of that seed, produces righteousness. And as, as James uses the word, righteousness was not just some abstract standing that they had with God. Righteousness was peace. Righteousness was good behavior that, that manifested itself in, in, in deeds and in gentleness and in goodness. So just to kind of sum up some things here, uh, we're close to, to being out of time this morning. Uh, being a Christian begins with a personal, individual faith. You have to have faith early as a first step. And then repentance and baptism in Christ follow faith. So when we look to the, to the New Testament, most of it is not about the beginning stages of our Christian journey. Most of it is about the way we live our lives as Christians in the Christian community. We partake in the fellowship of the Church of Christ. We interface with, we cooperate with, we love each other, we serve our fellow Christians, and that is very, very rewarding, but it has an aspect that can be frustrating. And so James urges those that have embraced Christ to be wise to treat one another gently and to consider the well-being of the body before our personal desires. 
life in Christ is life in fellowship with the people of God. We have to recognize that and be wise about that. And like I started out saying, I could pull out examples in my own experiences of certain individuals uh, within congregations that I've been at that don't seem to understand what I just said and tend to kind of try to make things difficult around them and control things. And so we just need to be cognizant of that. Uh, I had hoped to have a few minutes to, uh, to talk about um, Proverbs, but we only have a couple of minutes here, so we're about to run out of time. Uh, Brother Jimmy Clark did a real good job the other night, uh, a few weeks back, so I can't really elaborate more or add more than, than what he did, but I think Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are very good devotional books that, that deal with human nature and with human, or, or the nature of human experience. Uh, and, and the search for wisdom. Uh, they're, they're aimed at helping us live with one another and with the circumstances that we encounter, you know, in the world. Uh, they teach us that, 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 that God supplies this instruction. Uh, so if we're searching for wisdom, then, then God is the one who's going to be the source of that wisdom. Um, but certainly uh, I would suggest to you uh, look at Proverbs 1 verses 20 through, 20 through about verse 33 and that, that part of Proverbs kind of deals with uh, warnings concerning wisdom and so I think it's a good study that you could, you could take on yourselves and um, would be very profitable and valuable to you we're out of time this morning thank you for your attention and uh, so we'll stop there.